In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is brought to you in cooperation with the Cinda Academy, which brings leaders and businesses together from all over the world. You can learn more about the Cinda Academy under www.cinda.org. And we don't only just bring businesses and leaders together from all over the world, but we also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. Now, if you're new to this show, let me tell you what this series is about. The series is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and digital transitions to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics, they may impact your organization or your individual career. And today, we're going to talk about a subject very dear to my heart, a subject that impacts us every day, and that is a subject about data protection, privacy in the crisis times that we're having today. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time, or download this series on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And when you listen to the series, you can listen to leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Let me know what you'd like to hear on this show. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's subject. During the corona crisis, tech has been a blessing in many ways, facilitating working from home, staying in touch with family, friends, and tech has helped us keep track of the virus. However, there has been a lot of discussion about the question of whether the tracking and tracing apps in use in various countries all over the world are putting our privacy at stake. In Europe, the general data partner regulation has been in place for two years now, making cookie banners a must for all websites and apps that are using marketing and tracking technologies, and that is the GDPR regulation. Now, a general rule is without a valid user consent for his or her data, his or her data may not, nobody's data could be used for advertising purposes. Now, today we're going to explore what's all the talk about the data on tracking and tracing apps and what the critical question is on how is this data being used and what the future holds for consent and preference management. And today we have an expert in this area. Jürgen Weikert is the CRO of UserCentrics, a Munich-based VC-backed company that operates and provides companies with a software that supports them in obtaining, managing, and documenting user consent and privacy preferences in accordance with GDPR, CCPA, which is a California law, and other privacy regulations. And this software works on websites and app. And in doing so, this software helps helps tech companies ensure that they're dealing in legal way and helps businesses to achieve compliance in harmony with their data and marketing strategies. Jürgen has more than 20 years of experience in sales, marketing, and business development. And his role as CRO at UserCentrics, the former head of Strategic Partner Development Doc at Google. He is responsible for sales, strategic partners, and the development of new markets. So, Jürgen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. 
So, Jürgen, so let's just talk first. I mean, there's so much tech has really um, boomed during this crisis. So what, what are you seeing? What are some of the tech areas that you're seeing that have really supported us during these times? Well, uh, everybody knows, of course, that uh, video conferencing, any software that enables home office activities like uh, storing data centrally, uh, be it, uh, I don't want to mention individual names, uh, but uh, Zoom, uh, the Google products, Microsoft products, uh, really helped us on the business side, I think, and uh, made us learn that home office actually is an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and that has that has really helped us at least conduct our businesses. Um, but we've also seen some other kind of technology. Uh, you know, these these tracking and tracing apps that yes. I've heard about. So what what's the difference? Because I I really don't know what the difference between a tracking and a tracing app is. Kimberly, that's an excellent question, and uh, I have to admit, I I also had to do a little bit of research to figure that out. So, uh, tracking and tracing are two different things. So, uh, tracking refers to the recording of movement data. That means any movement that you are doing is recorded and uh, safe. So what you get as a result is a movement profile. So we know what Kimberly did in the last two weeks. As an example, tracing, however, is not creating movement profiles directly, but determining whether you, as Kimberly, had contact with a certain person at a, per, uh, at a given time and place. So only interactions are being recorded. And um, that is actually what, is, what we see most in most countries in terms of tracking and tracing apps. In most countries, the tracing apps are actually the ones who succeed, especially um, in most uh, democracies. And one of the things, uh, by the way, there's a standard developed by uh, Google and Apple, which determines that uh, tracing apps would be preferable to tracking apps. Mm-hmm. And just uh, just to get a little deeper in that, so so a tracking is is saying, you know, I went here today and did that today and that probably I can imagine is not as preferred in um, you know democratic democratic countries uh, do, do we have any tracking um, apps being used right now any place in yes yes uh, uh, for sure so um, all in all uh Tracing is the preferred one, as I said, in most Western countries. Mm-hmm. However, in uh, China, um, in China, tracking is the uh, preferred option and uh, preferred, let's say, most used option. In South Korea, there's a, a high number of different apps, both tracing and tracking. And the interesting thing is um, there are two questions that are really important. One is the date. Data intensity of tracing is, of course, less data intense. Tracking is more data intense because also information about irrelevant um, uh, things that are not relevant for the spread of the virus are stored. If if you have been shopping and nobody uh, infected uh, has been meeting you, it's not relevant for the spread of the virus. There's a second layer to that, too, uh, where data is stored centrally or decentrally. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let, let's talk about that a little bit, because um, I, I can imagine with the tracking why in Western company, countries they don't want that. I mean, I really don't need to have somebody, and that's my question, Jorgen, who, somebody know mm. that I went to the gym, I went shopping, I, I did this, okay? Um, so tracing is better. So let's talk about the data. I mean, what kind of data is it holding and what is centralized and decentralized data? So uh, those are really the relevant questions. So thanks for asking them. So centralized means that your phone, your smartphone and app is sending information to some central server. We don't uh, exactly know which central server, but it would probably be owned a central server controlled by the government. 
And that's where all of your information lies next to other users' information. So um, there's a whole pool of data with tracking or tracing data. And um, the big upside of this solution is, of course, that if you have such a huge amount of data, you can, of course, work on this data with machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence. So this is very powerful. The downside is what many people criticize is what if somebody controls the data that should not control the data or if this data is being abused. Mm -hmm. Decentralized as opposed to that means the data is only stored in your phone and not forwarded to a central location. So it stays in your phone and private. And only if there's an incident, for example, a person where you, uh, you had contact with um, actually marks that they have been infected, then the person uh, runs a scan through their app, sees critical IDs of who has been contacted. You, you have a critical ID and you are actually notified that uh, you had contact with an infected person, please get checked. So it's only, the data is only used if there's a relevant risk that you might be infected and to actually fight uh, the disease. Mm -hmm. So when, when we're talking about this, and I can see where centralized data would probably make people nervous. I mean, it's going to a, a server, the government. I mean, aren't there laws I mean, in, in, that are protecting us from that? Or, um, you know, I think a GDPR and I, I think it's, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, it, it, do, is that happening now? Okay. And are there laws that protect us from that? So, uh, yes, there are laws, and yes, it's happening now. So, France, for example, is looking for a centralized uh, uh, data solution. At least that was the my information uh, as of last week. And um, all of that is still protected by GDPR. However, GDPR does not uh, forbid processing data uh, to fight uh, diseases and infections. Um, what is very important there is the content and the purpose. So according to GDPR, the data has to be um, uh, given voluntarily. And um, in an ideal recommendations in a, or in an ideal uh, recommended setting, the user would give a consent to use this data for a specific purpose within a defined time frame. So it's okay to track and fight um, this disease, but I want this data to be deleted, uh, let's say in six months or in 12 months uh, or whatever. So this is where the legal situation comes into play. And that's probably why the European countries also took longer because there are some uh, legal limitations. The technical setup though um, speaks for decentralized solutions because Apple and Google already developed a standard for apps to work on a decentralized way, which reduces development time of apps massively. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I'd like to come back. We're going to take a short break, Jorgen. I'd like to come back and, and talk about that a little bit more and talk about maybe that comparison of what's going on in Europe to what's going on in the United States. Um, with, um, I mean, California is probably one of the most advanced privacy um, states with CCPA and, and what the difference are, are when we get back from our break. Okay. So for our guests, we are talking to Jorgen Weikert, and he is the CRO of UserCentrics, a Munich-based VC-backed company that operates worldwide and provides companies with software that supports them in obtaining, managing, and documenting user, con user consent and privacy preferences in accordance with both European and U.S. laws and other privacy regulations. Now, if you'd like to learn more about UserCentrics, you can go to www.usercentrics.com. Com. And they're also on Facebook under UserCentrics and on LinkedIn and on Twitter under UserCentrics. And if you'd like to contact Jürgen, he is on LinkedIn under Jürgen 
Weichert, and that is the last name, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. So please reach out to him for questions. And if you have questions and comments for me, Kimberly Lewis, you can contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now, this broadcast is also brought to you by the Cinda Academy. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe, and the Cinda Academy is available 24 hours a day under www.cinda.org. Now, on this, you can also see webinars and we do have a a concise webinar on Cinda Academy from User Centrics. So please take a look at that webinar. And with that we're going to take a short break and we're going to be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tired of the Get Rich Quick or How to Flip Home shows? Are you ready to step up your game and invest in commercial real estate? James Nelson, a top New York City broker, will show you step-by-step how to acquire, operate, and profit. You'll also hear from real estate legends on how they made their fortunes and industry experts on strategies for success. Tune into Real Estate Investing, live from New York, on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at leadershipforuminc.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we're talking with Jürgen Weikert, and he is the CRO at UserCentrics, a Munich-based VC-backed company that operates worldwide and provides companies with the software that supports them in obtaining, managing, and documenting user consent and privacy preferences in accordance with European laws, U.S. laws, and other privacy regulations. Now, Jürgen, we've been talking about what's going on with these um, apps, these tracking and tracing, and the difference between centralized data and decentralized data. Um, And what you said before is that, yes, some countries in Europe are are looking at the centralized solutions, such as France, um, but, you know, Apple and Google already have decentralized solutions. What do you see happening in the States? This is a really good question. So, um, in the States, we will, uh, I'm, I'm struggling answering it because uh, I think there is nobody who knows the exact answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be influence from uh, legislations like CCPA, etc., growing privacy concerns and privacy discussions is something we see around the globe, including the United States, but also Israel, other countries. Um, What will happen exactly is, um, in all due respect, I am a little bit confused because I cannot say what will happen on federal level and um, whether the the state-driven activities will be faster uh, or so, because I must say that there is no clear communication, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I mean, some of the states like, like California has CCPA and they're one of the strongest. Um, you know, do, do you think that the, the U.S. is going to come out with one 
consensus from one direction or is it going to continue with this California does this, New Jersey does this, somebody else, uh, Florida does this? Do you see any consistency at all? <laughs> no, I think you have uh, uh, you have actually given a very, very good description of the current situation. At the moment, we have state after state pa uh, passing privacy laws. And um, what's happening is this map of privacy laws becomes more and more colorful with different flavors of um, the same intent uh, in each state. However, I think this will continue for the next uh, months and uh, maybe a year or two. I'm very, very convinced that at some point there will be a federal uh, legislation harmonizing all of these different um, uh, laws because it's really hard for businesses uh, to follow these rules if you are active in 50 states and mm -hmm. abroad you will have to follow standards that are halfway harmonized because otherwise this only helps the big guys who have the resources and doesn't help, let's say, the medium-sized and also small businesses. So I am convinced and optimistic that there will be harmonization. If you ask me about the timeline, I would say probably it will still take some time until there's a, uh, a harmonized way, 24 to 36 months is my personal bet. Mm -hmm. But um, it will come, and until that, there will be a lot of confusion whether you have to follow the main standard as well as the Texas standard, as well as Nevada, as well as California, mm. and it doesn't stop. Yeah, that that'd be really, really confusing. Um, you know, when I, when I think about this, and what you said before is that GDPR, that the laws in the Europe have. Uh, have some flexibility when there's an emergency situation or a crisis. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I want to come back to that in a little bit, but I want to, for our audience, talk about GDPR and what is the criteria for consent, consent, because I'll tell you, there's one thing that makes me crazy is um, when I get, um, you know, the hometown that I, I grew up in, in the United States has a little newspaper and I can't get on that newspaper because it says, I can't read the content because it says, because of GDPR, we're blocking you to look at this newspaper. And I don't think that's what there's, but that, you know, that's what GDPR is about. So could you explain us what the consent is with GDPR? Yes, absolutely. So um, maybe you want to put us in touch with uh, your local newspaper because I think we have a solution that can help them. Yeah. But um, to start with, GDPR is, of course, not a regulation we made as user-centrics, but um, we help companies and other organizations cope with it. So what it basically says about web tracking technologies is there's an Article 6 in GDPR, and website and app operators have to meet the requirements of a legal basis for the use of these technologies, be it cookies or tracking pixels. That means you can only be tracked with, let's say, Google Analytics or whatever technology is on the website if there's a legal basis. This basis could be, for example, consent. And uh, that's actually the, the thing that is typically happening. And this consent has to be free, so you don't you're not forced into that. Informed, you know what to consent to. Granular, there's no package like um, consent to everything, please, in order to read this newspaper. But you have to know what technologies are there and what happens with your data. Explicit means um, that you have to explicitly consent. It's not just by browsing on this website, you admit prior, so before a technology gets your data, and that's what's happening with these tracking technologies. They get personal data like your IP address, your hardware mm -hmm. configuration, Mac IDs, so ID, hardware IDs that can identify you. And before that happens, you have to consent to that. An opt-out has to be as easy as an opt-in uh, if you change your opinion later. And it has to be documented, and then, and then you're fine. And that's what actually consent management platforms do. So mm -hmm. they achieve all of that and secure it. And uh, 
of course, uh, a website doesn't have to be blocked from European users. The easiest thing is um, to actually put a uh, put a consent management platform on the website and allow users the control and then just uh, act accordingly. Well, do you think that this is, do you think it's that these smaller businesses, and actually this is not small, I mean, mm. I, I can I can tell you a couple larger newspapers that um, that are doing this, you know, do you think they just don't understand this, um, that nobody has explained that to him? Because when I, when I go to the States and I try to go in, I can read it, okay, and when I'm here sitting in Germany, I can't read it, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you think that the U.S. businesses don't understand it or it's too confusing? No, or is- no, no, yeah. I don't think that they don't understand it. We are talking about smart people running successful yeah. businesses. Um, I think it was just um, the knowledge, okay, there's a law. I have to collect consent. I'm mm-hmm. not aware of simple solutions that are easy and flexible. So um, the question I would have, so um, me being the uh, uh, the responsible manager at the newspaper, um, the question I have, I, I either set up a complex uh, solution because I didn't know user centrics, or uh, I take a look at the traffic coming from Europe, how much is it at all? And then I just say, let's take the simple solution, block it, because it's not worth it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now that CCPA comes into play and all the other state-driven privacy solutions, I believe this will change because I have domestic audience that has, let's say, similar restrictions. So I probably have to review the, the overall topic of privacy, opt-ins, opt-outs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and that's, uh, I've been using this newspaper, but this is also for advertising. So can, mm-hmm. can you explain a little bit on that? Absolutely. So um, if you take a look at um, what's happening, if you're a website owner and you want to advertise for your website, um, you have two ways um, to do online marketing. One is personalized ads. The other one is non-personalized ads. Non-personalized ads are the ones which are on the privacy side completely uncritical. The downside is they are not the most effective compared to personalized ads. And uh, what the big tech providers, Google, Facebook, are demanding is actually user consent. So in order for you to... um, um, to collect data for personalized ads, which you can do on your website. For example, uh, you can do remarketing, which means if somebody was on your website, took a look at your service. You can actually display that service on other websites in the future using technologies like Google, Facebook, Criteo. There's a bunch. And uh, these technologies, though, require the consent of the user. So our platform would, for example, allow that. And that is really critical because um, the technology providers are pushing harder and harder for this user consent because they don't want to be in trouble and they want to push the the user privacy to be respected. So um, it's just a must for any, let's say, professional business person who wants to use Google Analytics on their website or do some, let's say, relevant advertising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can you, can you explain a little bit how that works again? So if I were to use some consent, um, consent software and put it in there, um, how does it work? I mean, I'm a medium-sized business. I really don't understand it. Can you just kind of explain Absolutely. it to me? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm thinking about my teenage daughter now, and um, you own a website that um, sells really cool hip-hop sneakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have no idea about all web technologies and so on, but you produce these really cool uh, sneakers. So if somebody is on your website, um, the person is probably really interested in these sneakers because it's a special thing. They're not reading the news um, or, or just browsing around. But let's say 80% of your users will not close the transaction immediately but leave the web page again. And that's what usually happens. Those are pretty typical numbers. They vary, of course, from business to business. So what happens is 
um, technology providers like Google, Facebook, Criteo, etc., allow you to drop a cookie that's um, that's a little file on the user's um, uh, computer. So mm-hmm. that's uh, completely fine. And if you visit other websites that have integrated this remarketing, there will be ads with the sneaker the user has taken a look at. So, hey, don't you want to rethink? Um, uh, buy it now. And mm-hmm. this actually leads... Um, you all know these sneakers that are following you through the web. It's actually highly effective. The problem now is, of course, there's personal data because and dropping a cookie on the um, user's computer is also not that that easy. So what you would have to do is you use a consent management platform and our platform, for example, or other consent management platforms would collect the consent and make sure that this technology is only used if the user consented. If the user did not consent, the technology would not be used for them. So you are safe and you can keep on advertising in this successful way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, Jürgen, when, when I'm thinking about this, okay, and I'm thinking about the consent, what is, you said something about that most, a lot of people don't opt into consent. What was the percentage mm-hmm. you said? What would you said to, what if you don't? It, it really depends. So uh, what we see in uh, industry ben- benchmarks, there are university studies from the University of Michigan uh, that say that uh, the industry standard would be 20% opt-in. Uh, we did, we see opt-in rates between 40 and 70% on average, so much, much higher. But um, that's kind of uh, where the, ind- the industry standard obviously lies at 20%. Okay. Um, we're going to take another short break, and I'd, I'd like to come back to that and, and find out mm-hmm. how, how you can increase those percentages, you know, and increase the people opting in uh, after, after our break. And for our listeners, uh, we are talking to Jorgen Weikert, and he's the CRO at UserCentrics, a Munich-based VC-backed company that operates worldwide and provides companies with the software that supports them in obtaining and managing and documenting user content privacy preferences in accordance with European, U.S., and other privacy regulations. Now, if you'd like to learn more about UserCentrics, please go to www.usercentrics.com. And they're also on Facebook under UserCentrics, and that is one word, and on LinkedIn under UserCentrics, and on Twitter under UserCentrics. And if you'd like to reach out to Jürgen, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn under Jürgen, and that's J-U-E-R-G-E-N. And Weichert, that's W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And he'd love to hear from you. And this broadcast is also brought to you by the Cinda Academy, one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search association. Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe, and the Cinda Academy is available 24 hours a day on www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tired of the Get Rich Quick or How to Flip Home shows? 
Are you ready to step up your game and invest in commercial real estate? James Nelson, a top New York City broker, will show you step-by-step how to acquire, operate, and profit. You'll also hear from real estate legends on how they made their fortunes and industry experts on strategies for success. Tune into Real Estate Investing, live from New York, on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we're, we're talking about privacy and consent. And we're talking with Jurgen and is the CRO at UserCentrics. It's a Munich-based, VC-backed company that operates worldwide and provides companies with a software that supports them in obtaining, managing, and documenting user content and privacy preferences in accordance with European and U.S. laws, European laws, and other privacy regulations. Now, we've been talking about this consent, Jürgen. So, I, I, um, you said that when people opt in, you're... You know, the average was like only 20%, but you're getting much higher rates with your software. Could you talk about how you do that and and, um, how you get more people to opt in? Absolutely. So, uh, first of all, uh, the secret to getting people to opt in is, of course, you have to make everything privacy compliant because you don't want to break the regulations. Mm -hmm. I would say that's just a given fact, hygiene. But then um, there are, of course, flexibilities. So you can decide about user interfaces. And um, we call that A-B testing. So, for example, we have uh, the option to, for our customers to design the user interfaces very individually and then test them against each other in a, a completely random mode, meaning um, every user receives um, a different user interface. You can test two against each other or multiple ones. And um, and just uh, within these user interfaces, see the differences. Of course, we took these learnings and um, also developed our products uh, into that direction. So testing, testing, testing. It's a combination of user experience, brand, and secondly, the banner should be seamlessly integrated into the website or app. So if you have seen what uh, the so-called cookie banners, the, the worst experience is a gray banner with a legal text that scares you. <laughs> so the banner, I mean, right, yeah. you know that. I, I hear you laughing. And yeah. um, so the banner should actually look like an integral part of the website use um, language that fits to the audience, which can be different, of course. Uh, if it's a bank, it's okay to be a little bit more formal. If it's uh, a sports company, it's it, it should still be understandable and not only legalese, but of course, um, also look like it's a part of the website. And third and uh, last point, it's even okay to use incentives. I mentioned as one of the first criteria the uh, opt-in has to be free in order to be valid. The consent has to be free. Nonetheless, uh, an incentive of, uh, I don't know, a discount on an e-commerce website of um, 5% up to 5 euros or dollars is probably not buying you, hopefully. <laughs> and um, so as long as it's given freely, um, I would Say if you, for example, we have several major German luxury car manufacturers in our customer base. If they would give a luxury car um, for free in order to for your consent, that would be probably not legal because it's not in relationship to the value of the consent. 
but it also would economically not make too much sense. So they mm. probably wouldn't do that. A small incentive, though, which is not negative. So um, not to say you will not be able to use the site if you don't accept, but rather, hey, if you give us your consent on top, you can have this small incentive that's usually helping along with A-B testing and, of course, a seamless integration into the look and feel of the website along with user-friendly language. Mm-hmm. And that, that'll get me to say yes better than, than uh, the, I, I can relate to those legal banners that you look at and they really scare you. <laughs> You're saying, I'm not going to click on this. But um, no, that, that's good. So, I mean, from, from your other best practices, what have you learned about consent and, and um, getting people to get consent and, and this general uh, consent across the board? Okay, what, what other best practices yeah. have you learned? I think the best practice is really um, user orientation, uh, user friendliness. And uh, what we learned a lot is that uh, transparency creates a lot of trust uh, with the users and realized that the topic is not bad at all. A lot of our clients were a little bit concerned in the beginning that they would overload their, uh, their end users with information that they would actually suffer in terms of uh, their business would suffer because they disclose what they are doing. And we had a lot of discussions and realized transparency actually helps. And uh, we see these facts that there is a little bit of data loss. What we usually see is the customers um, who otherwise would not have been friendly to convert we take the sneakers example if you are a person who would who doesn't like these measures you would not opt in if you don't like these remarketing campaigns you would probably also not buy so it's actually really beneficial to the website owner because only users who actually buy um, um, yeah opt in anyway and um and that's an efficiency gain. Plus, the users are happy about the transparency because they get informed about what happens to their data, which increases the trust that the website takes this serious and that they can rely on this website. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when you talk about transparent trust, I want to come back to what we started the show with. Uh, on, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's kind of like a magnifying glass on this again. Right after GDPR and right after some of the privacy in the United States, everybody, you know, was talking about privacy, and then it kind of got to the norm, and now it's being talked about again because of these tracking and tracing uh, apps. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, when it, you know the the tracing and tracking apps are opt in, aren't they? Um, the ones, or at least the tracing ones, in Europe right now. In general, yes. So um, what we see is, of course, the apps are about most of the apps are about to be re- released, so they are not out there on the market yet. Mm-hmm. So everything we know is concepts at the moment, and um, one thing I know is. For example, user-centrics is part of the of a startup initiative. The startup initiative is part of the development team of the German app. Mm-hmm. So I can only um, talk a little bit uh, about that. The German government takes the highest privacy standards, takes that very serious. There's still a lot of discussion around because the whole concept has to be um, privacy-friendly. We will see how that goes once the uh, apps are released. In general, the download will be um, usually at free will, so voluntarily. And um, we strongly support the position that these apps should include an active consent management, be it ours or be it a different one, because in our, we are convinced that um, users will more will be more open to use the app and to provide feedback also to the app if they know that there's a clear purpose when for what the data is used mm-hmm. and they have a consent that can be used in front of any court of law in the European Union, similarly to um, other mechanisms in other legislative areas or in other 
legal areas, but in front of any court of law that is valid. And uh, I think that helps create trust. So the, th the same effect that I mentioned um, about our business customers that saw transparency increases trust is better for business. I think we can adapt and see transparency creates trust, increases usage. And in this case, this is more important than business. I th I'm convinced that this can help save, li save lives. Mm -hmm. And that's why it should be um, the case that apps actually ask for consent and explicitly document that consent and are very transparent about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, which which I asked this question to come to my second question was: Do you think as we go through this process with these apps and as they're launched, is this going to have us review privacy in general in business? Also, um, what do you think the the, the main challenges are going to be in in this area as we go? You know, is this going to push us in a direction where we look at the business, review the business privacy consent again? I think it will be a proof point that um, organizations, be it the government with uh, these apps or businesses with their um, uh, respective websites and their online businesses, um, can reach their goals while maintaining privacy standards. Mm -hmm. I think this is a very huge proof point of, uh, of that. I'm curious and what actually makes me very optimistic is in March of this year, we, um, uh, we organized a survey in Germany uh, whether users would be open to share details to kind of lift a little bit of the privacy in order to fight the disease. Mm -hmm. And the outcome was overwhelming. So yes, um, there was a huge majority being willing to share data. And my point adding to that would be then we should openly ask them whether they are okay to share the data and inform them how the data is shared. And that would uh, probably increase the percentage of users that share that data. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's interesting. It's interesting how you know one area may affect the other. And we're getting towards the end of our, our show, Jorgen. So we have a lot of business owners out there, a lot of managers. Um, what... If you had to say, have three important points about the future or the, you know, on consent and privacy management, what would the tips you would give to our listeners? Three tips. Well, three tips. First of all, um, in terms of consent and privacy, work with a professional CMP. Um, Self-done solutions are outdated immediately because privacy regulations change, requirements change. Mm -hmm. Then um, make sure it's an open, transparent, integrated experience. Adjust everything to your look and feel and uh, make sure that it's an integral part of the website. And when you have made the first experience and think, how can I improve that? Because I run my advertising and I would like to uh, increase my percentages. Don't guess. Don't mm -hmm. guess what your users might like most but test it, test it, test variants, do A-B testing, because there can be massive differences. We have seen differences in terms of opt-ins in, in the range of 20 percentage points. Wow. So um, that can mean a lot of money on, uh, on a website or in an app. So don't trust your gut feeling, but trust data. And uh, in data, you can trust because it will not lie. <laughs> okay. And uh, last tip, one, two, three, one more last tip. <laughs> um, the, last, the last tip overall, uh, stay positive. Neither privacy nor corona will, uh, will stop us from being the business people we are. And uh, being positive is the most important thing. It's only, at the end, it's us who determine whether we go through this or not. And if you are in the lucky position like, um, like we are, try to help others. We are, for example, as a company, uh, supporting local business initiatives, also supporting initiatives in the uh, third world where the uh, pandemic 
hits even harder than um, uh, than here. So if you are lucky, help others. If you are not lucky and struggle at the moment, keep your head up because um, this will be over. Yeah. Well, those are great words um, to end with, Jürgen. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It was really interesting. Um, I learned a lot today about the difference between tracking and tracing and central and decentralized and also preference, um, you know, consent and preference management. And for our listeners, we've been talking to Jürgen Beikert and is the CRO at UserCentrics, a Munich-based VC-backed company that operates worldwide and provides companies with the software that supports them in obtaining, managing, and documenting user uh, consent and privacy preferences in accordance with European, U.S., and other privacy regulations. And they do this on both websites and apps. And Jürgen has more than 20 years of experience in sales, marketing, and business development. His role as CRO at UserCentrics, um, that's his role today. And he was also the former head of strategic partner development for Doc at Google. And he is responsible now for sales strategic partnerships with UserCentrics. So please learn a little bit more about UserCentrics. Go to www.usercentrics.com and UserCentrics is also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you'd like to reach out to Jürgen himself, please go to LinkedIn and he is under Jürgen Weichert and that is W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T on LinkedIn. So Jürgen, again, thank you so much. And stay safe. Thank you, Kimberly. And thank you to the audience for listening and for sharing your time. Stay safe. And this, thank you again. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda Academy. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe. And the Cinda Academy is available 24 hours a day under www.cinda.org. And if you go to the Academy, you can also see a webinar presentation from UserCentrics on Cinda Academy. Now, please remember to tune in to us each week, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you happen to miss our episode, then you can go find us on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcasts, uh, most podcasts, uh, links online. And the series is also brought to you by Global Business Therapy. And Global Business Therapy does leadership training for women. And with that, please remember, do tune in to us again next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.